So, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about my research because I feel as if before I like I did the thesis and now the thesis is online, I really had been uh, working by myself nearly and like being in this uh, PhD cave, or ED cave rather in my case, um, and I hadn't really spoken a lot about it before, but findings that Catherine is, is, is discovering in her research, really I can see um, they relate to what some of my participants say and and um, it's very exciting to see um, those resonances there. So yeah, and um, this I explored Twitter for professional learning. I'll tell you a bit more about myself. Yeah, so I currently work as an academic developer um, in DCU. And a few years ago, I had a different position. Also as an academic developer, I was teaching on programs for academic development. And that was um, specifically one program was a two-year part-time master's in applied e-learning. So my students, at the time were lecturers, they were um, people who were involved in learning technology jobs, academic de developers themselves, also librarians and um, during the course of that work um, and while teaching on that program I became very interested in like the, the world of Twitter and how other educators were tweeting and the ty types of conversations that I was able to um, involve myself in and, in and observe and I began to encourage students I was working with into that space as well. Um, so that I, at the same time I'd um, started the EDD here at the um, Institute of Education, um, now UCL, and um, then subsequently this area, this, this, um, this activity that I'd been advocating, this use of Twitter to extend learning environments became a topic of interest for my research. So, um, yeah, even though I'm here under the topic of openness, I think I've found myself into this community rather than thinking that I was part of it from the beginning. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, I advocated Twitter as a learning tool um, with higher education staff. Um, but through the course of my, um, my research, I became more aware of um, like what, I, what, I was, what I was doing and become cri um, more critical of, of why I was... Um, advocating certain ways or advocating activities in the online space with people that I was working with and with people that I um, was teaching and uh, that I had a teaching relationship with even though in their own eyes they were adults and could make decisions for themselves. So um, yeah I wanted to get a more a critical awareness of technology and um, Selwyn talks a lot about this and Selwyn and Fasser had published about that um, and also when I started to think about how Twitter um, was being used for professional learning, I could see that there wasn't a particularly large amount of research there. There was maybe rhetoric, um, and there's a lot of talk about, you probably have heard from as Twitter as a top tool for learning, there's a year-on-year -year survey um, by a professional learning consultant, and it, it is rated as a top tool for learning. People, you know, people collaborate, they share practice, they build connections, they keep up to date. What is this rhetoric rather than research? And um, I got interested in what um, Deborah Lupton was saying in um, Australia. She did a, a survey of an international survey of academics worldwide on their uses of social networks for professional reasons. And while, while she had lots of interesting findings at the end of her report, she said that um, we need more qualitative um, research findings in this. And also George Valetsiana says something similar. So. It was a motivation for me to start thinking about, um, I want to call it the experiences of people in these online spaces, 
Um, so these are my research questions. Um, I looked back, uh, I'll tell you about my participants in a few moments, but I wanted to find out um, from this group of people that I had worked with previously, um, what were the activities of higher education professionals using the social networking site Twitter? Um, how these activities on Twitter um, were supporting um, the learning of these higher education professionals? And just in relation to the learning bit there, um, because I was an academic developer and I was working with lecturers and people who supported teaching, it was mainly in the area of learning about teaching, learning to be a teacher in higher education, learning how to um, apply um, technology to pedagogy. So it was about tapping into circles and to, uh, tapping into communities who were talking about teaching and learning practice. So the learning was about that rather than learning how to be a researcher, although perhaps maybe and they're not really um, explicitly separated, might be there, but anyway, it's focusing on learning and teaching. And lastly then, I wanted to find out like, were there barriers or enablers experienced by these higher education professionals in engaging with Twitter for professional learning. Oops. So it was exploratory research and um, I wanted to get a holistic view of the situ situation and um, yeah, Buchanan, Densko, Yin. They, they said in the literature at the time that conclusions can be further questions. And yeah, really what I have is a whole series of further questions. My last chapter of my thesis was just, was just questions, and the last few slides of this are questions. And so my participants, um, I, um, at the time I emailed the, um, I suppose it was an opportunity sample, and I got in contact with graduates of this master's program and asked them if they'd be interested that I had this at the beginning of the research as well I had this broad interest rather than a very focused interest I asked them if they would um, like to participate and 28 people came back to me originally but as the research progressed and uh, before I began to collect the data explicitly on which pertained to the research questions I whittled the participants down to um, seven and these um, participants consisted of lecturers learning technologists, academic developers. And what I did with, the re with these participants then was I developed case descriptions of each of them. So each became a case in their own right. And I was able to do some cross-case analysis between people. So I harvested some Twitter data in a specific time period in 2014. And some of you might have heard of um, the Tags Explorer 2 by Martin Halsey. Halsey. Um, and Based on my analysis of that Twitter data, um, I looked for activities of professionals there and I based my follow-up interviews on the activities that I found and also openly asked, well in an open-ended way, asked my participants um, what their perceptions or their, dip, dip, their understanding of professional learning was, which, which was interesting, and I thematically analysed um, that data. And yet the data analysis revealed interesting things um, and especially enablers and barriers um, in this space. So um, yeah I did a very iterative approach to the research. <laughs> I had my data gathered and, um, about, and analysed and about a year ago I was like oh my goodness what is this data telling me. I had a totally different conceptual framework chosen. I was looking at transformation learning originally because I thought Twitter was changing, <laughs> changing lives and that I was going to see this. But anyway um, <laughs> My data told me something different and I needed to um, to explain it. And what I had in a, in a previous project, um, 
we had in a previous project to do communities of practice, we'd been using the COP model and it is much criticised and I was for a long time fighting with going back to it. But when I started returning to um, Benver's explanations of participation um, and belonging and identity um, as being underpinning factors to, to learning in spaces with other people, with other practitioners, gave me, gave me a way of explaining the data. So um, yeah, I've used that mainly within my conceptual framework. Um, Wenger talks about mutual engagement, joint enterprise and shared repertoire um, and that's interesting as well, I might refer back to that at the end to see if really if my participants were mutually engaged over a joint enterprise even though this joint enterprise was learning about learning and teaching practice but um, a bit more time on that later. Um, Arout's work, Michael Arout has done um, a lot of work in relation to informal professional learning and the nature of professional knowledge and in 2004 he um he had two separate studies i think on one on professional learning for uh, early career professionals and then on mid-career mid professionals and along the way he came up with these these factors these learning factors for people to enable professionals to enter into informal learning spaces and he said that to be challenged by the work and to value the work you're doing is important to professionals to be confident to step into um, learning spaces in informal um, environments or situations is important and then to be in a position to have feedback and support from others is important. So while okay. Benger and Arout, they're both talking about informal spaces but in a face-to-face -face way really rather than an online way. So then I looked to concepts of learning online and, and possibly some or most of you have heard of these, the concepts of network learning, connected learning, connectivism which are based around um, some assumptions and um, that um, we self-determine our learning when we go into these spaces and it's relevant to our needs and it is participatory interesting enough and let's see what my data says about that. Um, also then White and the Cornu's online is a space and place and like what I've talked about or I've mentioned that I've used community practice I really in my in my thesis in my write-up I didn't so much use the word community but I adopted the word space because it's a space people are entering into and they might find these networks that are of um, relevance on a resonance to them but it might not be so um, so much of the community as a space. And then I use the residence, visitors residence typology to compare um, visitors to peripheral participants or non-participants as Wenger calls them and residents from the white and the Cornu um, typology with participation. So this was um, eventually my framework, which was also kind of a continuum like, of those who maybe weren't participants in these online spaces, were learning the peripheries and they had identities of non-participation. And these factors helped, <coughs> I suppose, people to um, reach into more participatory forms of participation within the online space, where they were like establishing social presence and where they were and um, reifying um, knowledge, like expressing opinions and views um, and, and those having their voice online and that by having that social presence online that they were becoming an identity in their own right and that established their belonging with others online and that under those qualities underpinned learning. So, um, some of you might be familiar with the visitor and resident um, framework. Um, 
and it was useful in in this study because I was able to um, use it then as a way of um, seeing differences in a visual way among my participants. So, um, of my seven participants, then I could see that um, some of them were aligning with visitor attributes that um, this person here, Denise, had said they used. They also they used Twitter. I have to add, but Denise had never tweeted. She had no social presence established at all. Um, equally, Paul maybe had um, retweeted things a few times, but again, no voice and um, of his own or no tweets of his own online. Similarly, Pearl. In comparison to this end of the spectrum, at this end of the continuum, where Ben and Morris um, had um, were much in comparison to the others, much more highly networked, were tweeting um, opinions, tweeting things about their own teaching practice, and um, were collaborating and having conversations with others, and even making non-educational com comments online, non um, on teaching and learning type comments as well. So other types of um, Let's say they had mixed personas rather than just a teaching and learning persona. So um, broadly, to um, to categorise these can be, I suppose, critiqued, but um, in a way it, was, it helped me to explain what was going on. Broadly, the visitors were, when I interviewed them about how they were acting online, they were information gatherers um, and they had an absence of, so, of social presence. and. Residents were, um, were socially present, they had established voice, and they were connecting with other people. Um, so this is a diagram of um, what visitors in this study um, were doing. And um, yes, they were going onto Twitter and they were reading Twitter, um, the Twitter stream. And from that, they were gathering information. And they said that they supported their professional practice, their knowledge, um, and they talked about um, how that manifested them in practice as well. And um, one person did, developed a toolkit. Um, but which was interesting that came up in the interviews that was that two of the of the people on the visitor end of the continuum talked about that information on tweets challenged their understanding. But um, they didn't ask questions of another tweeter as to why they had a certain opinion. And um, for example. Um, one of my participants, Carol, was at a conference and she was um, listening to a keynote and the, um, what the keynote was saying, um, did, she didn't agree with it. And But she could see in the back channel that other people were agreeing with that and she wondered why, but in the interview we were talking about this and um, I said, well, would you have asked anybody why? And she said, no, I didn't want to put myself online and ask those questions. Um, so she had a preference not to ask questions or to post on Twitter, which is which is fair enough. But which is in stark difference to my, my people falling at the resident end of the continuum, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. And they they were debating online and asking questions and being quite um, inflammatory. Maybe is quite strong, but you know, having academic debate online. Um, so Ben and Morris fell at the resident end of the continuum, and um, they positively experienced um, questioning, as I said, um, on and an academic debate on the back channel, um, and they get yeah, both engaged in questioning. They made connections, shared resources, they were establishing their di digital identity, and also engaging in non-educational commentary. So one guy in particular, um, he <coughs> And he said in the interview as well that he wanted, and of, of this visitor end of the spectrum, um, that he wanted to have a, um, 
a holistic view or holistic I suppose perspective online of himself as an educator and he um, tweeted about other interests as well as education and um, he thought it was important uh, being a role model and an educator as well he spoke about human rights specifically LGBT rights and thought it was important that he display those online. So looking to research question two and um, how activities on Twitter influenced practice and um, it did so if, if I define learning as the ability to um, get these participants to change what they were doing or to influence things that they were going to do in practice. Yes, Twitter was influencing. It might have been the sole reason as to why, but certainly conversations or tweets they saw were influencing their thinking around practice. And Louise had said she developed a new toolkit which she was using in e-learning development and it challenged thinking. They might not have like engaged, had the confidence to engage in conversations, but it was certainly doing something and inspiring and challenging thinking. And for Ben and Morris, it was initiating collaborations. Um, and they talked about new teaching approaches and feeding back into the community. Um, I suppose one thing I want to add here is that, um, like I'm talking about professional learning, it depends on what we describe professional learning to be. And in the literature, and also what I described in the thesis, is about, it's be about becoming a professional. It's probably more than just practice-based changes. And um, which I'd initially thought I was going to be able to see if, if you know, the perspective of people were changing through Twitter. But my that's um, really uh, something that was going to be um, a much bigger study, and maybe over a longer period of time. I'm not even sure if something like that could be manifested. But um, but I am more interested in like um, critical professionalism, and maybe could lead into maybe Twitter and the use of Twitter and these online spaces could lead to Twitter professionalism. But there are bigger questions. So um, moving on to the findings for research question three, and um, really, and these were this is the question about barriers and enablers. And <coughs> um, yes, yeah, so visitors spoke more about barriers being present, and residents spoke more about enablers being present broadly. And um, these are some of the comments, and um, from just excerpts from quotes from visitors. I am going to let you read that because um, my voice is breaking. So just give me a moment. there you see from visitors I'm not sure if you're social media users or Twitter users Twitter is open and online do those comments resonate with anybody do you oh, yeah. do you see yourself there <laughs> yeah would you like to say anything else no just that I was just sitting here thinking I'm a visitor yes but I was um, interested because I some I think about becoming a resident but I've never gone very sometimes I go and then I come yeah and that was a cut well for some of my those that I categorise as visitor end of the spectrum, they said, well, I'd like to be more online. Um, but interestingly, one person said, no, I've made a choice. I don't want to go there. And I'll say why that person chose that as well. Is anybody else, I don't know, want to say anything more about any of those? Or, yeah, Leslie? I just think that what you just said about how it can be a choice is really important because I think sometimes we render deficit in people who are supposedly not 
both participants on social media or something or something. Yeah, like say they haven't quite managed it yet or they don't know how to do it. I think it's sometimes it's actually quite an informed choice that people make rather than being a okay lack of confidence in this part of it, but it might also be just like I don't want to do it, but I'll be just reason. I'd agree, absolutely. Yep, and Rob? Uh, I think this stuff is actually massively underestimated as something that affects people's behaviour. We ran um, <coughs> a Twitter 101 workshop at the OU a few weeks ago, and um, we think it would be relatively easy to get everyone kind of with an account, signed up, ready to go, do some tweeting, spend an hour at least, showing people how to use their iPhone and stuff like that. <laughs> and these are people who, you know, they're technologically savvy, apparently. Um, but no one really wants to say that they can't do this stuff. That's part of it. Yeah, so there's definitely technical barriers. and. Um, Catherine kind of alluded to that in the macro, so micro model that she had, that yeah, we, we do have these, and there's plenty of them out there, these 10 days of Twitter or how to use the software, and they are barriers, but really, um, oh yeah, and just to say that these were um, graduates of a master's in applied e-learning, they had a level of, di of digital literacy, of technical competency, but it was these emotional, these effective barriers that were prevented, and an informed choice as well, um, and yeah, I like from the study. I'm kind of more convinced now that we, I, I need to pay attention certainly to, um, who people are and when how they're coming into the space and what power or no power they bring with them. You know, um, like I do think these social networks have opened up huge potential, and I've seen that within my own research, being able to reach out to other researchers in the in the area, um. But it's 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 not neutral, as they say. There's things that you need, you risk when you go online as well, and. What they're saying here is like they haven't, I suppose, problematized it and thought about it, but they have thought about it. But um, yeah, it's a deeper thing than just the, the technical stuff, I think, really. So um, I uh, have generated themes, I suppose, from the, um, the, the those issues that were encountered. And um, I interpreted that visitors' capacity, or those who are at the visitor end of the continuum, their capacity to participate, in this context of my participants anyway, there was a lack of confidence there um, within professional knowledge, um, within what they, well they did know, but they didn't have confidence in their knowledge. Um, they felt that others on the Twitter sphere were more knowledgeable than them. Um, one person talked about a distinct hierarchy being there with and professors tweeting that he wasn't part of that, that he couldn't comment on, on educational matters in that, in that space. And also he described himself as not being ready. One person in particular um, talked about these unknown audiences and being cautious of these unknown audiences. And Bonnie Stewart talks, and also Dana Boyd, um, talks about these unknown audiences and the um, vulnerability that we, um, the vulnerable situation that we can put ourselves into because of that. Um, so people were cautious. And then on the other hand, the residents in comparison. And I'll also let you read that. My voice a break. Yes, Rob, yeah. So, 
My observation, just looking at these last two slides, is it almost matches quite closely the sort of introvert and extrovert personality types, where some people are just more happy to share what they're doing and not care actually about whether they know what they're talking about, um, <laughs> which you see on Twitter all the time. Um, but that almost being part of the method, right? So you just kind of get involved and ask people questions and they might say no or whatever, but who cares? Versus I dare not even try and say something because I'm not sure enough of myself. Well, that action is actually legitimate in this situation or something like that. It's not quite introvert, extrovert, but... Mm, yeah, it depends on... Uh, like I haven't read enough about, yeah, I've categorized, one of, done one of those MBTI things before and I haven't categorized as an extrovert. However, <laughs> I would um, be, uh, be a bit critical of that actually because I find myself an introvert sometimes. So to be honest, I don't know what the definition of an introvert or extrovert is and how we formed those definitions. So I'd be, other people have said similar things about it, but they're not just experts. <coughs> I don't know. And, um, but yeah, it does, it does strike me that it could be perceived as that, Rob. Although I'm happy to be Rob because he's really clever. But, um, <laughs> um, it, it, it all depends on so many other variables as well. I mean, I'd like, I mean, there's many a Turkish teacher now wishing they were a visitor rather than a resident based on you know, things they may have said and, and that, what the trouble they've got into as a result of that, and very unfortunately. So, um, did, you, did you have any, see anything like that as well? So, uh, regret at what they had posted. Yeah. Um, interestingly not. Um, hmm. It could have been down to the participants that opted to be to participate in the study. Um, the data was collected in 2014. Maybe things have changed since then. Maybe they've changed professional roles. Probably, yeah. Um, just... yeah. In answering that question, I suppose, if and if this is outside that data set, for myself, have I regretted things that I've tweeted when I've um, when things have changed for me situationally, professionally? Yes. So yeah, I don't think that it's. But I suppose I don't cover this in the research, and it hasn't come up. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Um, in terms of the handle and avatars and background pictures, did was there any differences there? Did you take that into account? Back. Um, no. The visual representation, the names people use, basically, could they be found? If you knew their name, or did they choose? Avatars. I, um, no, they represented themselves with their real names yeah, online, and I didn't look at um, visually what they were saying about themselves. Or I was thinking the picture yeah. that they would use to represent themselves in the backgrounds. Did you look at those as well? No, no. Possibly something that I could have. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to come back. I think on this idea of being an extrovert, because having been a person who, when starting with Twitter in a new profession was on the visitor end and now consider myself to be on this end of things i've not changed personality in there but i have grown confidence in both my subject area and to get to grips with how the technology works but also i think maybe the difference in terms of what i might post on there maybe a sense that what i'm putting out there is to a group of people i know better now because i did observe for a while and i have seen what goes on there and i'm more willing to be vulnerable with that group of people now so that confidence in my subject area and the willingness because i feel i know who's in that network a bit more yeah and um, i was having a conversation <laughs> earlier on yeah and we were talking about a very similar thing and i just now i'm not a giddens person or haven't read structure and agency but i i just came out with this phrase based on this is the theory of structure and agency but it's almost like 
you know, the, in peripheral participation, you know, we learn from that, we learn to talk within that. So we have agency, develop agency within the structures. Um, and it is about an identity trajectory. And I'll describe something, somebody, one of my participants, who might mirror your, your experiences as well, and even my own experience. So yeah, so I, um, yeah, capacity to participate for residents was underpinned by their confidence. Um, and also they had a very playful nature online, they had social tweets, um, playful tweets about a laptop breaking down and other people coming in with um, questions and suggestions and yeah, kind of humour coming in and um, they said that, oh yeah, time was a factor also for um, the visitors. They said that they would agonise for too long over creating a tweet, you know, that, that decision to send. And um, whereas these people were saying, no, it's so fast, like you can just put, put it out there. And that wasn't a barrier for them. So essentially it was like they had more um, confidence in what they were going to say wasn't going to be harmful as they were taking a risk. And they talked about this capacity to debate, to debate. And they knew, I'm calling it etiquette here, but I've since kind of decided that it was like they knew how to, um, how to communicate within the culture as well. And as some visitors hadn't, um, weren't um, used to maybe. Um, right, so this is a diagram for my thesis where I have, these are, these are the innate qualities that residents seem to have, professional confidence, capacity to participate in playfulness. And around those qualities then they're able to take part in these activities where yes, they gathered information as well, they made connections. And at the making connections point, that's where they began to do, develop an explicit digital identity because they were socially present with other people in these online spaces, in the Twitter space. And from there, because they were being seen, they went into conversations, um, reflections happening on practice and new practices and sharing of those practices again was happening. Um, so, yeah, the, the things were, that were coming up, I think, from both sets, well, all of my data and this spectrum of visitor and resident was that there was a capacity to participate online on Twitter. Confidence was involved. Vulnerability prevented um, participation, explicit participation. They did legitimately per peripherally participate and belonging was an issue as well. So what I want to do now is in the next few minutes uh, talk about, bring stuff out from the data and, and marry it back to uh, what Wenger says and what other people say. So all of my participants demonstrated different ways of being social online. Um, and these were these types of participation were underpinned by various reasons for all of these participants. Um, and as Leslie was alluding to there, it doesn't mean that non-participation wasn't valid. It was, it was legitimate for them. It was working for them where they were at, was meeting their needs. Um, so being silent is still a social practice. But it did make me question, like, is Twitter an inherently social space? And, um, you know, we expect to see the, the sense of the low level sense of Twitter when we talk about it broadly, uncritically talk about it, is that people are talking on Twitter and they're conversing and they're collaborating. But my data shows that like a lot of people are observing and seeing what's going on. Well, when I say a lot of people, a proportion of my participants were observing and seeing what was going on. So Denise, Paul and Carl, they had a strong reluctance to increased participation. Denise specifically said she would not like to and she didn't want to tweet it into the future, but thought it was a useful tool. Um, and while legitimate or peripheral participation is legitimate, um, 
Lab and Wenger do talk about the purpose of being in peripheral spaces is to, okay, look and see what's going on. And um, we can learn from talk, but I like what they say here. It is, it is to learn to talk as a key. So it's about learning to talk and to become part of that space. And for one of my participants, Louise, who maybe is um, quite like yourself, I don't know your name, the, um, there, Kate. She spoke about having um, an identity at the beginning of her Twitter journey as being a student. She still, in the interview, she still referred to herself as being more of an observer than a participant in social spaces. But on her tweet, her Twitter data did show that she was conversing with people. And then we had a conversation in the interview about um, that peripheral participation had led to her being more involved. And um, yeah, she was showing changing modes of participation. So she changed from student to being a learn, having a job as a learning technologist and her identity trajectory seemed to be changing and her modes of participation seemed to be changing as well. Um, so, um, yeah, um, going back to what um, people say about informal learning in online spaces, um, those who talk about connected learning, networked learning, um, <coughs> really what my my findings bring up I think and I hope it's apparent um, is that these online spaces um, are there really affinity spaces um, and people like Selwyn Fasser warn against simplified and unchallenged findings and um, extolling the virtues of learning in the online space you know that it's unproblematic and um, so clearly the feelings and experiences of the participants in this study matter that they're not all in the centre of participation. Paul was describing others as more knowledgeable and perceived a very real knowledge and status hierarchy to him. So he felt other people were more knowledgeable and also were more in esteemed positions that was preventing his participation. And Hughes in 2010 talks about um, affinity through knowledge related identity as being fundamental to learning. Now that raises questions. If I go back to what I was doing, it made me think, you know, these people had passed through a master's in applied e-learning. Um, and they didn't want to talk and like, people don't have to talk in online spaces but you know why didn't they feel that they had the knowledge to take part in these places and to um, give comment and opinion and is there something um, is there something amiss with academic development programs we need to do more on developing on developing voice and developing confidence are we doing enough that's a broad thing to say um, interestingly um, in discussions, yeah, Paul and Denise both felt comfortable in face-to-face -face, um, environments, having conversations with peers, posing opinion. And Paul, interestingly, in his interview, began to question, well, why do I not feel ready to post in the online? And he came out with the phrase, I'm not ready. Um, but there might have been other factors, and really it was when I was reflecting on the data, um, and I knew of the, the positions of these people, um, that the re people falling at the resident end of the continuum were um, both male and they had secured permanent contracts. Other people at the other end, now there was one gentleman at near the visitor end of the continuum, but however, um, people were in short term contracts. Do they, was their voice, was their agency different? Was there a privilege difference there? And also it feeds back to what um, Helen Beaton says in the publication last year, Participating online feels different if you're a woman. Um, and also Singh talks about 
these platforms were designed with specific people in mind and those people were rarely of colour minorities, women or marginalised folks. So the designers of these things are supposing, presupposing that we're all ready to be online and ready to socially network um, and ready to put voice there, but there are reasons behind why or we don't or we can't. Um, so yeah, um, I've heard, like, obviously I, well, I do respect um, those who are at the visitor end of the continuum as to why they, they don't want to or they choose not to take part. But um, thinking of Banger again, he talks about um, creating an identity of non-participation, they were mar marginalizing themselves. So they're inhibiting their own capacity to be part of other spaces. Um, and sometimes then, this quote that I hear, it's the importance of moving on from legitimacy, or legitimate peripheral participation is that um, inevitable stumblings and violations become opportunities for learning. So, you know, putting your foot into these spaces can be learning opportunities, can be development opportunities. And then also then other literature, specifically about Twitter and online social spaces from McPherson, Budge and Lemon and McCluskey and Reedman says like, to understand and benefit is about the experimentation pro um, process with these spaces and is to try to get in there and put your foot in, put, put your foot in the Twitter sphere. But yes, there are concerns about um, exposure and vulnerability and seeing also um, urges ed educators to be sensitive about openness as far as for someone can signify harm. Um, yes, so yeah, and, it, and actually just this, the um, third point there is from Helen Beatham, who had a blog, blog post this week and it's a quote from it. Um, these online spaces don't feel like safe spaces if you're developing your identity, your subject specialisms and your voice. And I've talked to two people in the room who were discussing similar things today. So if we're not part, if we're not identified within the structures, we're less likely to um, feel that we have agency in those places. But however, Stuart's research then kind of brings it back in again. Like if we're not there, well then we can't avail of these networks of care that become open to us. And um, that was something that I didn't discuss with my participants, but it's a reflection that I have on my own self and my developing voice and um, exposing myself online, really, that during the, stu during the study as, as a, um, a doctoral researcher myself, I was able then to get in contact with other people doing similar research and get support from them. So these networks could be beneficial. I still wouldn't make my participants be part of them if they didn't want to, that they have their own choice to make. Yes, yeah, so overall, there was an emotional response. Confidence does come into this. Um, much learning at work occurs through doing things and being proactive and seeking learning opportunities, and this requires confidence. Araj was talking about in the face-to-face -face con context, but it, I think it's um, also the case for being in online social spaces. Um, Another thing that I've thought of since the study ended as well, I and mean, it's not new, I suppose, really, um, but it's what Sherry Turkins ta talks about um, online as an identity opportunity. Going into these social space spaces is an opportunity for questioning who I am, who we are. Um, and Wenger talks about identity as an edu education resource in itself. So um, using, the, using Twitter as, um, uh, as a resource to question who we are, like it becomes quite explicit when we need to put it down on, on paper or type it into a tweet. Um, <coughs> and Vesh talks about online 
en enables the development of the self as well. And um, so I have put it forward in the thesis then that Twitter could be used as an identity opportunity in academic development programs. And there, there are bigger questions and ways of organizing of how open online social spaces could be used um, within these formal programs or in, way, or in ways that we develop academics in higher education. So overall, if I was to say, what was your thesis about Merlin? It was like, okay, so yeah, people do use Twitter, um, but, uh, well, these people did use Twitter and people generally do, well, people might or not, but, but uh, yeah, they weren't all positively dis disposed to, you know, very, um, let's call it extrovert participation. They didn't like putting their voices online. And um, it creates opportunities, but also um, creates complications. And it's, it's more than technical support that's needed. It's about identity and digital identity and confidence building and identity building. Um, and these issues need critical thoughts among people like myself who are academic developers, who um, the academic development terrain maybe has been focusing on um, the developing development of teaching practice within um, closed environments, but now it's an open space and people are at the ability to connect out. It's like, how are our jobs changing? How do we support people in those online spaces and are the pro are the ways are the programs we design at the moment are they catering for that so um yeah and i was interested in what bonnie stewart said earlier this year um as educators are we protecting people from that gap are we educating are we educating the educators to be mindful in that space and I've got lots of questions here. <laughs> but maybe you have got um, questions or points of interest. I think we'll take it from there. Okay, well, thanks. Okay.